This podcast is brought to you by the Eisner Award-winning Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. Cha! Hey, this is Jacob Simon, writer and co-creator of Goners, and you're listening to the Two-Headed Nerd with Joe and Matt. Sort of break it, break it down like this. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha, deep below the metro area, it is my pleasure to welcome you to episode 183 of THN. It's the week before Halloween, so we are celebrating with the THN Metal Show! Prepare to get scared, Joe Patrick. I'm already scared. My name is Matt Baum, and you, you can find me on the Twitter under the handle at Matt Baumstein. And when I'm not working on an 0-8 season in the THN Fantasy Football Challenge, that's a perfect season looking at it one way or the other. I'm selling everything I own, including personal services, on the internet while looking for another copywriting job. <laughs> and I'm Joe Patrick, at JoePatrick116 on the Twitter. And when I'm not blaming my co-host for missing answers to the question of the week from loyal listeners, not blaming, accurately assigning blame. That is your job. I'm the manager of Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. And the head liar. In this week's episode, you'll hear our tragically flawed reviews of Goners, number one, and Mimetic, number one. After that, we'll review ten more of this week's new comics faster than Joe and I can cut a swath through some non-living protesters during the ludicrous speed round. And then we'll visit the THN Sanctum Sanctorum. We'll discuss a couple of next week's comics while trying on some Halloween costumes. And finally... We'll pop enough Adderall to hold our attention long enough to review an entire graphic novel. When we play Take a Look, It's in a Book, and review Gail Simone and Jimmy Calafiore's Leaving Megalopolis. So please, keep your head and arms inside the metal show at all times. And then, we'll talk about this week's big news. We got big news. This week, BleedingCool.com has run a series of rumors hinting at what may be an editorial sea change at DC Comics. First, the site reported that the publisher has asked creators to bring their storylines to an end before what Bleeding Cool has dubbed the Band-Aid event in April 2015. The Band-Aid, of course, is the nickname of the mystery event that will bridge the two-month gap when DC moves their offices from New York to California next year. Bring their stories to an end, like... And Batman slept better that night than he ever had. The <laughs> end. You know, like what? Now the site has posted a rumor that creators are being asked to pitch new books that are, quote, daring and that use, quote, blue sky thinking, which I had to Google, in the vein of DC's recent successes with Batgirl, arguably, and Gotham Academy. This seems contrary to the kind of firm-handed editorial policies that saw many creators leave DC following the launch of the New 52. It seems DC is recognizing that allowing creators to actually create will give their line the shot in the arm it needs now that the novelty of the reboot has worn off. Matt, my only questions are, what took them so long, and is it too late? Uh, or is it too early? I think to look at something like Gotham Academy and Batgirl and go, they're a hit! This is what everybody wants! I mean, we've seen one issue of each of these. Maybe they should track the sales over the next six months before we decide... Yeah, <laughs> this is a, this is a winner. Well, they're not I'm just tracking they're... the sales. They're not tracking the sales. They're right. tracking the reception. And I'm glad and the the excitement for those books has been high since the second they were announced. No, and I'm glad. I'm. It, it seems like they took a chance with these. You and I didn't love Batgirl. No. We both liked Gotham Academy. Right. And it seems like they're taking some chances that they wouldn't normally take. That's a good thing. I would like to see more of it. 
until I see it, I'm not going to believe it. Right now, I think this stuff is still an aberration because the rest of the DC universe is still very extreme, very 90s, very it, Yes, but I, I agree that it's early and it's too early to say, yes, DC is making changes. Right. At this point, I also agree that it's just rumor. But Bleeding Cool is getting this information from somewhere. Well, and this is not new info either. We knew they were moving, and we knew that some people were moving, and some people were not. Yeah. No, a bunch of people are have decided not to make the move. Yeah. And I just, I don't think that's a, a reflection on DC. I just think it's like, I don't want to leave my life in New York. At the very least, they're going to get an infusion of new blood. Hopefully. If DC is... Finally realizing that, you know, firm editorial vision, that's certainly one way to go about it. A lot of companies have done it, but I think there's a lot to be said about letting creators try different things that aren't right. necessarily reminiscent of 1990s image comics. Well, and there isn't necessarily anything wrong with firm editorial control either. No. I think there's very firm editorial control at Valiant, but I think that same edi the editorial control is working directly with the creators, making sure that everybody's doing stuff together because they are so heavy in their continuity. I think DC has to release some control. They're in trouble. All their sales lines are down outside of the bat books, really. And this is the only thing that's going to save them. And it's going to be hairy during the move and whatever, and things are going to get worse before they get better like they always do. But maybe they are going to get better. Can't get much worse. <laughs> Regardless of where they are now, no one can argue that the New 52 was not a huge success for DC. Yeah, I mean, it was a shot in the arm, definitely. And a brief one, but it was. It got them a lot of attention, and yep. people are still paying a lot of attention to DC even now. Mm -hmm. If there's any truth to this, I'm cautiously optimistic, because I can see things moving in a, in a direction. Like, they've been referencing things that we thought were gone forever for right. a while now. Right, teasing us. Right. And again, this isn't necessarily about embracing the old, but let somebody do something creative, you know? Let somebody yeah. come up with a Gotham Academy. As or, opposed to putting a character in a trucker hat and going, see, he's relevant again. Right. You know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I don't know. It's hard to... But hey, you know what? I want to hear from you guys. So there's yeah. another big shakeup going on. Is anyone going to be upset if things change again? Is there anyone right. out there that's like, no, f*** that. I love the new 52 just the way it is. Lay it on us. We want to hear from you. Call us, 402-819-4894. Lay it on us. I want to love again. I want to love again, yeah. Matt. In other DC news, following up on our story from last week, DC's chief creative officer, Jeff Johns, spoke with BuzzFeed this week to discuss the company's... Relevant news organization, BuzzFeed. <laughs> to discuss... Well, we are talking about comic books. <laughs> to discuss the company's film and television projects, addressing the way DC has chosen to keep film and television completely separate John's confirmed that the various projects coexist in a multiverse in very much the same way they're comic properties do, just like I f called last week on the show. While John said that crossing over between film and television isn't in DC's current plan, the idea has been discussed. Quote, we have our TV universe and our film universe, but they all coexist. For us, creatively, it's about allowing everyone to make the best possible product and money to tell the best story to do the best world. world. To create the best world, okay. I'm sure is what he meant. <laughs> Everyone has a vision, and you really want to let the vision shine through. I think the characters are iconic enough. You never say never. Maybe one day we'll link a show to a film, if it makes sense. But the creative process we're going through right now is to let the stuff live and breathe and be its own thing and own it. 
Man, Jeff, you're all over the place. <laughs> Joey, all discussion about the quality of the current shows aside, does John's remarks make you feel any better about DC's current approach to TV and film? We'll call it the real-life DC multiverse. Honestly, it kind of does. Really? Yeah, I mean... It doesn't make me feel better or worse. Uh, again, not, not discussing uh, the quality of the execution. I'm saying we talked about how baffling the decision was to keep things separate. Like, we don't understand. Why, are, why is DC doing this? I right. don't get it. Here's the Flash TV he show. And here's your new Flash movie star. Right. Like, and, blah, blah. But I think to hear him lay it out does make me feel better about not necessarily agreeing with their decisions but understanding where they're coming from. Yeah, no, I and get And that's it. the whole point. That's the whole thing that was driving me crazy. It's like, why the f*** would they do this? I get it. I and still now, just don't And now, here is it. Jeff John saying, this is what we've decided to do, and this is why we're doing it. Sure. And yeah, that does make me feel better. I just, I still don't love it. I get it. I still don't love it. And that's fine. And I'm, I'm not disagreeing. I'm saying, well, at least... Someone There's is, a reason. At least someone is cognizant of this. Yes, and okay. I, I'm glad that someone has come on the record to clarify their baffling decisions. <laughs> Let's get to the real news this week. Yes! Archie Comics has announced that Riverdale, a one-hour drama based on the iconic Archie comic book characters, is in development for the Fox Network. I was hoping it was a musical dance number where they're all wearing wooden shoes. <laughs> no. Like Riverdance. No, I get it. <laughs> The show will be produced by Greg Berlanti's Berlanti Productions. <laughs> That's a stupid sentence. I'm Greg Berlanti. Welcome to another Greg Berlanti production. <laughs> Greg Berlanti's company produces Arrow and The Flash. And it will be written by Afterlife with Archie scribe Roberto Aguirre Sacasa. In their press release, the publisher said, quote, Riverdale offers a bold, sub subversive take on Archie, huh? Betty, Veronica, and their friends exploring the surrealistic twists of small town life plus the darkness and weirdness bubbling beneath Riverdale's wholesome facade set in the present in the small fictional town of Riverdale, New York. The show will focus on the eternal love triangle of Archie Andrews, girl next door, Betty Cooper and rich socialite, Veronica large, Veronica large, Veronica large, <laughs> Veronica Lodge. And will include the entire cast of characters from the comic books, including Archie's rival, Reggie Mantle, his slacker best friend, Jughead Jones, popular gay character, Kevin Keller, <laughs> who will also play a pivotal role. In addition to the core cast, Riverdale will introduce other characters from Archie Comics' expansive library, including Josie and the Pussycats. Writer Roberto Acquire Sacasa added, quote, This is something we've been working on for a while now, figuring out the best way to bring these characters to life for what will be, essentially... The first time, not so, Roberto, and we're going to talk about that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The entire team working on Riverdale is as passionate about Archie as John and I are. I don't know who John is. Oh, John Gold Goldwater, CEO of Archie. Okay. So it feels like the stars have finally aligned for Archie and the rest of the gang, and quote, Matt, the comics are one thing, but how do you feel about teenage melodrama? I don't know, man. If they go bonkers with this, like if they go as bonkers as Archie comics are going right now, this could be a load of fun. Oh yeah. Well, these are the words that popped out of me immediately. Subversive. Yes. And surreal and bubbling and under dark the surface and weird. <laughs> yeah. So if Riverdale is like twin peaks, like a milder version, that's of what twin I'm saying. Peaks, like a happier twin Peaks, eerie Indiana. Yeah. Type right? thing. 
this uh, could be a ton of fun. I am totally into it. Now let me ask you. I can't you, believe this. And this is just nitpicking. Did you ever picture Riverdale, New York? No, I didn't either. But Riverdale, like, I always thought it was like in Ohio. Or Riverdale something. has always been, you know, any town USA. I right? suppose it could be anywhere. I pictured Riverdale, Wisconsin, or Riverdale, Ohio. You know, or maybe. I'm sure. I'm sure that it's been mentioned. I just okay. It's not an important part. Riverdale kind of. Even though it's in New York State, it kind of exists in its own, like right. Pandor. Right. Right? It's in its own bubble. Be anywhere. Yeah, this could just be completely nuts and a ton of fun. I just, I can't believe that Archie Comics is like the most exciting thing going right now. <laughs> well, they've got, to, they've got to just get weird with it. That's, I mean, I don't want to see Pretty Little Liars or what, Gossip Girl. Oh, I don't want to no. see, you know, like, Archie's sleeping with super slutty Veronica. Oh, no, no. no. <laughs> and I don't, I don't want that either. And I think that that would be completely contrary to the spirit of Archie. Yeah, yeah. But... Roberto Aguirre Sacasa is no stranger to television. He is a he has a big part uh, in making Glee. That's true, and so he knows what's up, and he is firmly connected to the Archie comics world. I am confident that he knows what's up. Yeah, like, I mean, he knows and, what and if they needs could do this done. in the spirit of a show like Glee, which really was a good show. I it, it is. It I've it seen I've me. seen some episodes of Glee. It is a fun show. It lost me, but it was really well written. And it make it as weird and as funny and like and but go a step past it like oh yeah and there's witchcraft you know <laughs> yeah I just, it's like weird shit, you know I'm just imagining the afterlife with Archie episode <laughs> where it's like oh man Sabrina accidentally turned everybody into zombies for a minute I don't think they're gonna get there oh just <laughs> they could they could do it I suppose. That is the big news for this week. If you want to discuss these stories or anything you think we missed, hit us up over in the THN forums where Joe and I are already waist deep in our Archie Andrews casting argument. Joe wants Ron Weasley. I say he's not hunky enough. I like to see Fox take a risk and go with a proven ginger actor and pick WWE superstar Sheamus to play Archie Andrews. (laughs) Hold on, I gotta Google that. You don't know Sheamus? No, hold on. Every Sunday, my favorite redheaded stepchild, Joe Patrick, posts the question of the week in the THN forums. Joey, what are we going to ask the listeners this week? Once more, into the breach, my friends. Constantine made its network television debut this week. For us, it was yesterday. For you, it was two days ago. Maybe. Depending on when you listen. And just because you stole the pilot episode from the internet doesn't mean you've seen nothing, brother. Oh, that's right. They changed it. They did. They changed the ending. We want to hear your spoiler-filled review of the pilot episode. You have until 5 p.m. this coming Friday. Halloween. October 31st to get your answer to the ziggurat. You can call us and leave a message with your answer using Skype. The Skype handles to it at nerd, all one word. It's too scary. You might not even want to try it. Yeah, it's super scary. Or you can call the Ziggurat hotline 402-819-4894. You can also send an MP3 to twittednerd at gmail.com. In all of those instances, keep it under three minutes. Two minutes would be even better. Two minutes is for winners. We got a lot of callers these days. That's right. It's hard to get through them all. Two minutes is for winners. Last week, we had to split the show in two. Ugh. If you need more time than that, feel free to write your full answer to to your heart's content in the question of the week section of the THN web forums. You know what? I totally forgot to mention that there was an Archie TV movie in the 90s where it was like 15 years later and Archie and Betty and Veronica were like cheating on each other. It was weird. 
It is review time on THN, where Joe and I dismount our flying black horses, stop shining up our armor, and put down the battle axes to review two of this week's comics. Joey, tell these kids about Mimetic number one. <laughs> Mimetic number one is from Boom Studios, written by James Tyne in the fourth, with art by Eric Donovan. That's E R Y K, not E R I C. I think it's Eric. Eric. <laughs> The Woods is James Tyne in the fourth is back with a new horror slash disaster series, this time about the truly viral nature of memes and their influence on a culture. This story is about the progression of a weaponized meme that leads to the utter annihilation of the human race within 72 hours. I loved how Tynan paced this issue. The good time sloth, as the meme is known. Hits the internet at 7.04 a.m. and Tynan shows us the impact it has on the world over a 12-hour period through the eyes of a deaf, colorblind college student and a completely blind former military man. Tynan and Donovan really draw out the meme's effect on humanity in a way I really enjoyed. The threat escalates a little bit at a time over the course of several pages until the finally hits the fan. They avoid that jarring moment in a lot of horror books or movies where things are fine until, oh my God, they suddenly aren't. The way they build the tension, I thought was outstanding. I really enjoyed Donovan's art as well. I'm not familiar with his name, but he's got an exaggerated, sketchy style that reminded me a lot of Dustin Nguyen. So Rob Guillory too. Okay, sure. The colors by Adam Guzowski and the design work by Scott Newman also do a great job of giving this book a distinct look and they use uh, they incorporate a lot of internet imagery that suits the story considering you know what it's about with memes and people spreading it on Facebook and Twitter and all that crap. I've been curious about this book since the first time I saw The Good Time Sloth and I wasn't disappointed. And might I add, I'm very happy that that's the name of it, The Good Time Sloth. I don't know why, but it that really was my makes me giggle. Nickname in high school. <laughs> Matt Good Time Sloth Bomb. This gets a buy it from me. Matt, what did you think? Well, we have to add a new type of zombie to our list of zombies. So far, we have zombies, magic zombies, right? Something goes wrong with yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. a curse or something. Then we have biological zombies. Yep, virus disease, right? Mm -hmm. And now we have meme-related zombies. <laughs> there you go. They're fast. They scream. They mess shit up. Chuck Palahniuk wrote a book called Lullaby years ago, and it was about a poem that you could read aloud and it would just kill people. It was like a deadly thought. And this is sort of like that taken to the nth degree. This is like a deadly idea that just seeing it, you know, gets in your brain and boom, there's nothing you can do about it. It's full on psychological warfare distributed through Gawker, you know, or Reddit or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Where it's just like, it, and it's interesting, like, because if you think about it, like, recently we've been talking about the Randy Orton RKO vines that have been going around. Everyone has seen them. They're everywhere. Even I've seen one, and I don't even know who that is. And they keep cranking them out. And I like the idea that Tynan took how this spreads and turned it into something that could be really, really dangerous. Something so simple and stupid could be the most dangerous and dumb way the, the world ends. It's a really cool idea. I love how they incorporated all the, like, internet stuff and phone stuff. And they did it in such a way that it worked really well with the story as opposed to like what we didn't like about Batgirl where it was constantly like stuff popping up and this is here and here's your Instagram and crap. 
This felt natural in the story, the way they did it. It didn't stick out. Well, yeah, because that's what the story was about. Right. But I'm just saying it's easy to get that wrong. Yeah. And it's easy. They nailed it here. I really enjoyed this as well. I'm giving it a huge buy. And I really liked it. Like, it was presented in a way, you know, uh, Die Hard 4. Which one's the fourth Die Hard? Uh, well, the fourth one, whatever it's called, it had Timothy Oliphant as the... Live Free or Die Hard. And then what was the most recent one? That was in Russia. Or yeah, but what was the name of it? I don't remember. Eat shit and die hard. <laughs> anyway, Timothy Olfen is the villain and he's hijacking the internet. Like the internet is something you can actually like put in a van and take with you. Best looking hacker ever. Yeah. By the way. Uh, so there are so many stories where it's like internet related problems, obviously written by somebody that does not understand how the internet works. <laughs> right. Does not get it at all. <laughs> and this is actually presented in a way that's like, okay, this feels real. This is actually how things work. Because it's so simple and yes. stupid. Someone put an image up, people start seeing it going, you gotta see this. Right, and there's even the, there's even a line that's in there it. where it's like, I'm surprised my mom hasn't tried to show it to me yet. Oh, well, it hasn't been on the nightly news yet, so yeah. she will. Yeah. And I like that, it's so genuine. It's and the truth. That was, my, that was one of the things I really appreciate about this book. I really like Tynan, by the way, before we move on. His work on the woods, his work on this. The guy's got some really original ideas. I'm looking forward to more from him. Absolutely. Totally agree. Matt, what did you choose to review this week? This week I reviewed Goners, number one from Image, written by Jake Saman with art by Jorge Corona. Saman wastes no time here in introducing readers to the Latimer family, a married couple that hunts the paranormal on TV. Sort of like a married version of the Ghost Hunters without the douchey haircuts and affliction t-shirts. And also, they're not lying and perpetrating a fraud on the public. The pair are a dashing TV couple, and their children, 17-year-old Zoe and 12-year-old Josiah, are watching, along with everyone else, as their parents fearlessly conquer threats from beyond the grave. Until the night they're both murdered on live TV. Simon <laughs> does a fantastic job suddenly switching the narrative from the parents to the Latimer children, and even though... We don't get to know too much about any of them. By the end of the story, both the parents and the kids felt really well fleshed out and devoid of the usual kid cliches in comics that drive me nuts. Like, I'm the plucky kid that talks like an adult, you know? And I'm the plucky kid that is an adult talking like a kid, <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> Jorge Corona's art is both cartoonish and classic. He uses hardline manga techniques while squaring off his character's jaws and fingers in a very Jack Kirby-esque style. Paired with the colors of Gabriel Casada, the two create an eerie world for our two unprepared heroes, and the panels just crackle and glow with supernatural energies. There's a bunch of zombies in this book that they call bacocks, or bacacks, and I'm sure we're going to get to why. It's not important yet. All we know is there is an established mythology that they're going to slowly introduce to us, but the way they drew the zombies was really quite simple. They were just sort of like these glowing, dead, angular blobs. They were blue, and they were translucent. Like, you could see their skeletons me, blue on, glowing. underneath their skin. Yeah and, yeah, and they were simple enough that it was still very scary. Yeah. The way that they illustrated them. And it was, this is not just another zombie book. That's most importantly. The cover of this comic... Oh, I don't think it's a zombie book at all. No, but I will say the cover yeah. of this comic... Made it look like another zombie comic, but Goners is anything but. Saman and Corona have crafted another sneaky hit here for Image, featuring two unprepared kids dropped into their parents' world of magic and the undead. I think this is going to be a lot of fun. If you had enjoyed books like Leave It to Chance, if you enjoyed books like Good Call, or even or even movies like The Goonies, I think yeah, we're really going to enjoy this. 
I'm giving it a huge bias. Yeah. You know what I loved in this world, in this version of the world, the fact that there are monsters is common knowledge. Right. And it's, the like authorities are prepared for it. It is a TV hit watching these people yeah. fight monsters. And that the know? Latimer family is a long line of monster hunters that are very famous. And it was only recently that that the parents were like, you know what? We could probably make a living <laughs> right. doing this. Right. And so there's all kinds of lore peppered through the book where uh, the, uh, the, an attack happens in a place it shouldn't have. And, and the cop is the first one to ask, well, but what about the Montesi formula or whatever? It's not the Montesi formula. Well, no, I mean, but that's Doctor no, Strange. There's but. no hand-holding. That's the cool part. Yeah, it, they just well, sort but, of drop it on you. Like, didn't they have a spell protection right. over the house? You know? <laughs> it's just like, it's this world, it's not like, we don't have to sit through another thing of, of like, what? Monsters are real? What? Right. Or even a long exposition. Monsters are real and everyone knows right. this is the world that it's, you know, like, or, we'll get it. You know, or... <laughs> They have to work with a cop who doesn't trust them because right. they think they're lying, but right. monsters are obviously the real. And slowly, over the course of an agonizingly long year, right. does the cop finally, like, okay, I get it, monsters. Like Sleepy Hollow, for like, example. Yes, but I feel like on Sleepy Hollow, like, it wasn't. She caught on very quick. Yeah, it wasn't right. like the X Files where Dana Scully took nine years hey, to start right. believing. And me. also, Orlando Jones, like, halfway through the season, like, <laughs> monsters dude i'm in <laughs> so i really liked that they just hit the ground running and in this world it's not the revelation that there are monsters is not the story no the story is there's monsters and this very famous family is under attack go yeah there just happens to be monsters right and i really liked that I, I, this was a, pl a completely pleasant surprise this is a book by two people that you have literally never heard of yeah and it was executed with such a degree of skill. I was super impressed. Yeah. And I was not expecting much. In fact, uh, I hate to admit that while we did order a fair amount, it was a lot lower than maybe it would have been had it been by Matt Fraction well, or even, course. even you know, uh, Joshua Hale Fieldkov, who is a, an established entity. Right. But this book was amazing. I loved it. Huge now, buy it. If there's like... Uh, I, it almost sounds like I was making a complaint when I said that like the characters weren't fleshed out enough because we really don't know much about them at all. But the action was such was so well handled that I didn't mind. It's like, look, we don't have time. Like stuff is going down. You're going to get a little bit of it. Try and keep up. And oh yeah, and really, I love that. Yeah, really well, like well you done. Said, there's no, it's no hand. Uh, there's no hand holding. Yeah. they don't. They didn't feel the need to explain every single thing, yes. every step of the They're way. Trusting you to make those jumps because hey. We're intelligent people. We're yeah. reading. And I appreciate that so much. Got to talk a little bit over email with the writer, Jake Saman. Super nice guy. Super nice guy. Very grateful for the attention. Pick this up. They deserve it. It was great. So that is a double buy it from a medic number one and a double buy it for goners number one. Of course, we want to know what you smiling sloths and orphan kids thought of these comics. So hit us up over the THN forums, which you can find by clicking the forum button at TwoHeadedNerd.com. If you don't know that by now. We don't hold our hands enough. Yeah, <laughs> we're not holding your hands enough. Earlier this week at the Merry Marvel Marching Monster Society charity fundraiser for disadvantaged monsters, Matt got a couple of drinks in him and made some off-color zombie jokes within earshot of the living zombie and Frankenstein. 
politely asked me to drive his ass home. Nobody has a sense of humor anymore. Well, it appears the living zombie held a grudge and started a zombie gate hashtag on Twitter that whipped up a fury. Please. Now the ziggurat is overwhelmed with recently dead protesters clawing at the walls and moaning about zombie prejudice. Crybabies. So join us now as Matt and I strap on our hockey gear, grab our axes, and send these overly sensitive boneheads back to the grave while we review 10 of this week's comics during the Ludicrous Speed Round. Ludicrous Speed, go! Colder, the bad seed, number one from Dark Horse. Paul Tobin and Juan Ferreira reunite for the further adventures of Declan, who apparently has become something of a sex machine since the events of the first series. Whoa. <laughs> We're introduced to a super creepy new villain, and the creative team continues to present a really interesting take on the nature of insanity. I like this book a lot. Buy it. On a scale of one to ten, I give it a buy it. <laughs> Deathstroke, <laughs> number one from DC. To say I didn't hate this is certainly not a ringing endorsement of Tony Daniels' new Deathstroke book, but I didn't hate it. The art is predictably great, and the story was markedly better than Slade Wilson's first new 52 series, but there's still something missing here. The last time I really remember liking Deathstroke was when Brad Meltzer wrote him very briefly in Identity Crisis back in 2004. Meltzer wrote him as sort of an intelligent psychopath like Hannibal Lecter from the NBC Hannibal show, and I would love to see Daniels move more in that direction than action hero. That said, I don't know if he has the writing chops. For now, giving it a skim it. Edward Scissorhands, number one from ID Dubs. I can't really imagine the thought process involved in resurrecting this film for comics, but writer Kate Leth and artist Drew Rausch do a fantastic job here. Rausch's art fits right into the Tim Burton aesthetic. He's really good. And Leth picks up the story of Edward 50 years after the film without missing a beat. But my attachment to the source material is thin at best, and I feel like your enjoyment of this comic will be tied to your own feelings about the movie. Strong skimming. Yeah, I wanted to love it too, and I kind of felt like, do we need this? Like, I just don't, I don't care about Edward Scissorhands. I like, I like the character. He's very cool and iconic. Do I need to read about him every month? Probably not. It's a well-executed comic. If you love Edward Scissorhands, check it out. There you go. Father's Day, number one from Dark Horse. has had all the trappings of a late career Liam Neeson action film, including the lack of story and depth. Here, we get the story of an ex-hitman meeting his estranged daughter after her mother died of cancer. It's a good enough setup, but before we get any more story on the actual characters, the mob shows up out of nowhere to kill Dad. They blow up his house, and the two escape, but then the mob catches up with them in a cafe where they pull machetes instead of guns. <laughs> There's some weird action movie logic going on here from the mind of Dark Horse publisher and writer Mike Richardson, but... Very solid art from Gabriel Guzman. Just hard to care. It's a little cliched here, and I don't think I'm going to read much more of it. I'm giving it a skid it. TMNT slash Ghostbusters, number one from IDW. This is pretty much exactly what it promises on the cover. The TMNT have crossed the Universal Gulf to the New York City of the Ghostbusters. This issue is a lot of setup, and some prior knowledge of the individual IDW series would probably help. But still, I thought it was goofy fun. It's not really must-read material, though. Again, strong skim it. It's good. But yeah, if I never read another one, I probably wouldn't be sad. <laughs> Did you ever think there would be a time in comics where the bleed exists everywhere? I know, right? <laughs> like every company has a multiverse. Predator. Fire and Stone, number one from Dark Horse. That's a weird way to say that. This, Predator. <laughs> this is 
More humans you'll find impossible to care about fighting a predator on their spaceship, and apparently it takes place after Prometheus Fire and Stone, number four, which has not ended yet. I am done giving these comics skimmits, and I'm done caring about this crossover altogether, which is only reinforced by getting the story out of order. Dark Horse has literally dropped the ball here. Now, I will say, really, really nice art by Chris Mooneyham. I'll give him that. But I just didn't give a sh** about this story, nor did I know what was going on. I'm giving this a gigantic leave it. You up. Dark yeah, Horse. why they didn't just put it out a series at a time it's, instead of overlapping them, I do not understand. I think it's your company. Just do it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I just, it's baffling. Arkham Manor, number one from DC. Deadpool writer Jerry Duggan and artist Sean Crystal launch this new series that brings the inmates of Arkham to stately Wayne Manor. This takes place after events in Batman Eternal, and it seems that there is a reasonable explanation for how and why this is taking place, which was our number one question going into it. They sold it pretty well. Yeah, I agree. Crystal's art is great. I got a Sean Murphy vibe looking at it, and Jerry Duggan delivers a fun script. It's a neat idea. I'm looking forward to more. Buy it. Yeah, Jerry Duggan at DC, kind of exciting. Into it. 13 coins, number one from Titan. Simon Bisley is amazing as usual on R2D's here with his thick characters and absolutely incredible action scenes, but the story gets bogged down in the setup of the War of the Angels and the Fallen Angels with (laughs) humanity in the middle, and then we meet some angels, and then we meet some Fallen Angels, and a completely unlikable main character. There's just too much going on here to care about anything other than the art giving this a very low skin. This is a leave it for me. I had a really difficult time reading this. It was hard. And even the art was not good. There is a scene, no kidding, where there is a car chase and the guy I know exactly what you're talking about. He is in a comically small car. Yeah. Like his body is half hanging out of the car. Bulging out of it. I'm like, what is going on? And then the main character is like, he's tortured. And he used to do drugs or whatever. And he was and a pro basketball also player. Also, really good at basketball <laughs> for no reason whatsoever. Yeah, it wasn't good. I'm giving it a leave. It. All right. Catwoman number 35 from DC. I can't believe I'm saying this, but what a long overdue change in tone and direction, courtesy of author Genevieve Valentine and the massive artist Gary Brown. Following events again in Batman Eternal. Selina finds herself in charge of one of Gotham's crime families, which she's trying to mobilize to rebuild the city. I was just really getting into that Dr. Phosphorus King of the Morlocks <laughs> story. <laughs> that was f- awesome. It's a compelling story. Great art. My one complaint is that it I felt like it moved a little slow. A lot of setup, a lot of explanation, and it's a lot more like procedural drama and very light on uh, the action that you might expect in a book called Catwoman. <laughs> I don't know. I liked it. It's a huge improvement. I'm giving it a buy it. Should it have been a new number one? Uh, no. I mean, I don't really truck with the whole constant rebooting thing. I am, an, like you said earlier, I'm an intelligent human being. I'm with you. I just I'm read okay some with the book being number 35, but all being essentially a first issue. I just read some other good reviews, people saying that they think it might hurt it a little bit, but it's 35. Oh, yeah. I absolutely think that it might sell less. Yeah. But... I am not one of those people. Dungeons and Dragons, Legends of Baldur's Gate, number one from IDW. Someone at IDW heard our criticism and decided to inject a little fun into their D&D comics with help from Skull Kickers writer Jim Zub. Unfortunately, most of the humor was a little lost on me. A heroic human fighter shows up with a hamster that puts fear into the hearts of its enemies, which I'm sure is reminiscent of 
some internet fantasy meme that I missed. Regardless, this was much more fun than any of the other IDW D&D stuff I've read before. Really nice art here, but I'm only giving it a skim it. Just wasn't that funny. <laughs> like they were okay. definitely going for funny. Scriff schnock. That is your ludicrous speed round, and scriff schnock is the sound of a crow-headed demon propping up a dead cop to knock on a door as seen in this week's Goners number one. It was, it was creepy. It was scary. Halloween is almost here, and Joe and I still haven't settled on costumes. So we invited our friends Clayface and Renee Zellweger to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum. I was going to go as Renee Zellweger. <laughs> Which one? The new one or the old one? <laughs> With Clayface's help, I'm trying out a Magnum P.I. at the beach costume while Joe is making kissy faces in the mirror at his weird Grant Gustin face. Joe, while we try on a few different looks, why don't we talk about what we're excited to read next week? My pick is Deathlock number one from Marvel Comics, written by Nathan Edmondson with art by Mike Perkins. Here's your solicit. After Michael Collins, there was Henry Hayes. Bullet! A medic who travels to war zones to heal the wounded. He has no idea that when he's in the field, he's activated by a mysterious group and becomes the ultimate weapon of assassination and war. Deathlock! The deadly doctors without borders. Bullet! From the writer of Black Widow and the Punisher comes a new take on the iconic cyborg character making waves on Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Who cares about that? I think Deathlock is cool. I think this new version of Deathlock looks awesome. This idea sounds cool as hell. And I loved the story. I think there was a prelude story, I think, in the most recent Point One, the Marvel Point One special. Yes. By Perkins at Edmondson, where this... <laughs> oh, it was... Uh, the original thing, uh, original sin thing happened, uh, like the watcher's eyeball exploded in yeah, New York, yeah. and all of a sudden there's a guy in the subway saying, I know who you are, you're that guy, you're Deathlock, and, and Henry Hayes, I suppose, It's like, what are you talking about, dude? <laughs> <laughs> I think that's great, he's the, he's the Manchurian candidate. Like, time out, I don't have a metal head and a pig nose, what are you talking about? <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm, I think Deathlock's great. I'm excited for it to come back. I love this creative this team. This sounds like a really cool idea for the character, too. You bet. Matt, what's your pick for next week? My pick for next week is Rasputin, number one from Image, written by Alex Grecian with art by Riley Rosmo. Here's your solicit. Dracula at Downton Abbey! I don't know what that has to do with any of this, though. In one night, Rasputin was poisoned, beaten, stabbed, shot in the head, drowned, and then tied up and thrown in a frozen river, just like Alice Cooper. It was really bad timing. His beard was just coming in nicely. New York Times best-selling author Alex Grecian and fan-favorite artist Riley Rosmo reunite for the first time since their critically acclaimed series, Proof! I love I am confused at the tone of this solicit. I think it's going to be a little... They're going to handle the Mad Monk Rasputin with a little bit of humor. I love this historical character and all the mythos that surround him. I think it's going to be lots of fun to read. Riley Rosmo is great. I will really read anything Grecian. drawn by Riley Rossmo. I loved Proof. That is a fact. It was a great series. One of my favorite Bigfoots in comic. And there are so many. Oh, it's a bunch. Yeah, there are. I love Bigfoot. I know. Saddle up. Because here comes the THN Trade of the Week, and it's a doozy. DMC, the graphic novel, volume one, from Daryl Makes Comics. Written by Daryl McDaniels. Yeah, DMC. It's McDaniels, not McDonald's. <laughs> and various... With art by Philippe Smith and various, so apparently multiple stories. The rhymes are Daryl's. The burgers are Ronald's. <laughs> Here's your solicit. It's 1985 in New York City. 
Wild style graffiti covers subway cars as b-boys break and spin in playgrounds and on street corners. Ed Koch. Koch. Koch is mayor. Drugs and crime rule the streets. A terrifying plague is brewing in the shadows. And as the populace loses faith in the police, a man named Bernard Getz. A real person. Yep. Is being (laughs) hailed as a hero for shooting four teenagers in a subway car. In this 1985, however, the city's brand new guardian angels wear spandex and capes, wielding their gadgets and their superpowers to clean up the city, even if their methods hurt more people than they help. There's the deluded graffiti king, Mr. Marks, patrolling the tunnels. The dark moral crusader, the Puritan, who stalks the shadows of the Lower East Side. And above it all, the godlike Helios, darling of the Upper East Side and the NYPD. It seems like only some of New York's residents are benefiting from these vigilantes' protection. The rest whisper the name of another hero. Oh my god. DMC. (laughs) You see, in this 1985, Daryl McDaniels, from Run DMC if you didn't get it already, Never rocks the mic to become one of hip-hop's most enduring icons. I don't want to even live in that world. Instead, he does, he dons his tracksuit and Adidas sneakers to defend the city's marginalized citizens against supervillain and superhero alike. Good God. Leaving no traces beside the imprint of his knuckle rings on his opponent's faces. By day, though, he teaches junior high school English. <laughs> Who wrote this? I don't know. With the help of reporter... Charlie Cooper and a band of graffiti artists led by the spunky LAK6 Lake 6? Lake 6. Let's do it. Let's do it. DMC must confront the new heroes and investigate whether there's anything behind their sudden appearance. DMC, the inaugural title from Daryl Makes Comics, imagines an alternate history that blends traditional comic book storytelling with the pressures and anxieties of 1980s New York City (laughs) and explores how we got to where we are now. DMC as a superhero for those who need one most. Only in comics, folks. In this version of New York City. Oh my God. Run DMC never teamed up with Aerosmith for the iconic version of Walk This Way. That's which, and something was lost. <laughs> that's soli- that is the longest solicit I have ever and read. It's pretty much the whole book, right? That's it. I feel like we I don't need to read it. Maybe it should be our book of the month next Buy month. Buy it. <laughs> there you go. Once you've settled on your bare-chested Halloween costume, let us know what you guys are looking forward to reading over at the THN Forum. Can I play with madness? Once a month, Matt and I cuddle up in front of the fireplace with our giant cocoa cups and an original graphic novel for a little segment we like to call Take a Look, It's in a Book. This month, Joey and I are reading Leaving Megalopolis, written by Gail Simone with art by Jimmy Calafiore. Following a hugely successful Kickstarter campaign, Dark Horse Comics has made the popular creator-owned graphic novel by the creative team of DC's Secret Six available to the direct market. When the caped heroes of the world's safest city inexplicably turn into homicidal maniacs, no one is safe. The only rational thing to do is get the hell out of town, if only it were that easy. A small group of terrified survivors makes a desperate run for the city limits, chased by unspeakable, insane evil. Joe, I really like how you added that word insane at the end. I just wanted to get across that they're f-ing out of their mind, man. Okay. It, d- it does say earlier that they are now homicidal maniacs. This is not at all what I thought it was going to be. There's an, a really good introduction to this by Mark Wade. 
where he sort of sets up what we're about to read and he gets he nails an idea here that I never really thought of one of the reasons that I love Gail Simone as a writer is she's not only really good at writing your main characters your heroes and your villains she's really really good at writing the innocent people that are living amongst the heroes and the villains that are caught up in the middle of it. Right. And this story does not focus at all, basically, on the heroes. I mean, the story is they had this city. It was all the heroes live there. It's basically like a New York analog in the Marvel Universe where all the heroes live. And one day, something really, really bad happened. A monster of some sort burrowed up from the ground. The heroes saw it and they went crazy this could sound like a spoiler but the way it's presented is such a throwaway moment in the book it's not important what's important here are the human beings that are caught in the middle of this that have maybe taken their heroes for granted a little bit and now want to get the hell away from them this whole book basically follows four people trying to escape this city megalopolis right this uh, this book is not this book is not about the heroes. It's about the people. And it's a it's a horror movie where superheroes are the monsters. It's very much horror survival. Yes. And that is a cool idea. It's a really interesting take. Uh, and unlike what Mark Way did in Irredeemable, where the focus was very much on the Plutonian. Right. And what was going on in his head. This isn't about what's going on in their heads. This is about the people trying to survive the worst possible thing that could happen to their town. Right. And, uh, you know, they live, like you said, they live in a, a place overrun with superheroes. And up until, you know, the zero hour, it was like the best place in the world to live. They were right. safe. You know, it was fun. You got to see dudes flying around. And then suddenly, their protectors became their worst nightmares. And it became a, a story of their survival. And most of them don't make it no and most of them are killed badly <laughs> and even the people that survive start to turn against each other yeah i really well okay let's get the easy thing out of the way real quick the art by jim calafiore is amazing yeah he is a very talented artist that does not get enough work and this is some of his best work that i've seen too i you, agree you could tell that he really loved working on this he loved designing the characters all of which are very much analogs but not necessarily direct ripoffs there's definitely a character that is your superman there's definitely a character that is your flash right but then a lot of them are also very unique right no most definitely and there, there's a big spread page where we see a bunch of the characters and the heroes themselves or you know now villains or whatever are almost just nameless monsters because the people are so busy running from them that we really don't get to learn much about them at all. In the back matter of the book, they have the spread page that with that features all like the crazy heroes labeled oh, A, yeah. B, C, D, E, F. And most of them don't have names. Yeah, and most of them don't even have names because it's not important to the story. Like it's it's almost a complete aside that they're crazy. They're just crazy, and we've got to get the fuck away from them. They've become like zombies almost, where they're just mindless killing machines. But they're not mindless though, and that I think is the distinction. They're depraved. Yeah, you know, it's, it's almost it, like crossed, <laughs> right? And uh, earlier today, I don't, I don't know if it, it's made it under the show or not. Earlier today, you made a comment about how it's almost like torture porn. Yes, and I don't agree. 
but it's similar to Cross in that way, in in the sense that the creatures that the the humans are facing are sadistic and monstrous, but right. it never crosses that line, right? It's gory because it's a it's a horror sure story. But it's never grotesque. No, it never ventures into. I'll give you that. It never ventures into like Avatar ultra violence, right? It's like look at look. It is violent. Superman's having sex with the Flash's severed head. (laughs) That's when you're like, okay. Now this is definitely an adult book. This is not an all age book by any means. No, and it's a really interesting study on the superhero analog, and I think it was also sort of a biting indictment of what happens when we take our characters like our Superman or our Batman and try to make them as dark and as gritty as possible. That's a good point. For almost no reason. Like they kind of focus on the fact that the main hero, uh, what was overlord, the overlord who wears like this granite ring on his chest. He was the man of granite. And he obviously is a Superman type character. And he came from the golden age and he was this sweet, good guy. And then, they sort of rewrote him in the comics and made him a little tougher. Grim and gritty. They yeah. made him grim and his gritty. His hair got longer. He has an actual granite ring that's strapped to his chest. And he got grimmer and grittier and grimmer and grittier until this thing showed up and just flipped the switch in his head. And he became a monstrous killing machine. They talked about how it happened in the comics but we don't really see what they were no. like in the quote-unquote real world. Right. All we know is he was once a good guy. Something that doesn't make a lot of sense happened, and for whatever Cthulhu reason... Cthulhu showed up. Yeah, and for whatever and reason... flipped all their switches. He's just evil now. And yeah. I think it is kind of a biting indictment of how editorial... I'm not going to name any one editorial, but has moved a lot it's, of... It's happened it, It's happened multiple everywhere. companies yeah, it's happened for decades. Everywhere. We're, we need him grimmer and grittier and scarier. This is the logical extension of where that goes. It goes to evil. It goes to murder machine. You have now crossed the line. And it's really cool the way even like the people that are running from the heroes are sort of discussing it. Like this just doesn't even make sense. Why would this happen to these characters? It's just bizarre. And that's part of the story. It doesn't yeah, have to make sense. Like, uh, there is no answer as to why it happened. It just happened, and you all watched it happen. There is a scene where the main character, ostensibly she is the main character, uh, talks about or remembers what happened to her boyfriend. Right. Uh, and like right up until the moment that everyone realized things were bad, having one of those superheroes show up and cross your paths with something to be thrilled about. Right. And it's like, oh, look, it's whoever, the, 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 the flame or whatever he was called. The red flame. The red flame. It's like, oh, awesome. It's the red flame. And then the red flame melts his brain. Right. <laughs> right? And uh, they were idolized, uh, 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 celebrated. Yeah. The red flame was, was ostensibly the human torch. Yeah. And I loved that moment where, like you say, like these were, these were their heroes, right? These right. were the people that they looked up to, the people that they depended on. And then they went dark. Right. Well, and the Red Flame even has a line where he's chasing these like these people. And he's like, how dare you? Like, in my neighborhood, I've protected you for so many years. And you won't let me save you? I'm going to fucking save you to death. <laughs> you <know? laughs> right. Where it's just, it, again, it harkens back to that 
nonsensical grim and grittiness of the 90s that we lived through for so long where we try to take Superman and make him a tough guy and take Thor and make him hardcore for no reason. This was really like kind of a meta experience for me while I read it. And I read all the back matter as well. Me too. Because it was just great. And yeah, I me too. really liked, like Gail Simone is very, very talented at writing mean, nasty stories where bad things happen and there's nothing you can do about it. And you just got to try and live through it. But there's always a purpose to it, right? That's it's I'm never going. like bad for the sake of being bad. Yes, that's where I'm going with this. She excels at writing stories like that that could otherwise be written off as just like feel bad comics, but there's a reason for it. There's a story behind it. I definitely like what both of these creators are saying about the comics industry and especially about superhero comics here. I like the execution. I believed every character in it. I love this. I'm giving it a gigantic buy it. You guys knocked it out of the park. I agree. And, you know, we talked a lot about just a real quick uh, last note about the human characters. There are pages at a time where you don't see the super characters at all. It's all it's them like hiding in the shadows from them. You know, be quiet. You don't want right. so and so to hear you. But I thought that Simone in the story did a wonderful job sh showing how. um humans react in this situation i don't remember how long they said megalopolis had been this way i think it was like a month right and i thought it was very realistic the way like if you've been essentially emotionally tormented for a month and a guy you don't know shows up at your door or crosses your path and wants your help or wants to tag along with you your first instinct isn't going to be let's go buddy your first instinct is going to be, I'm going to blow your head off with this shotgun yeah, I just I don't, found. I don't trust you. The whole world has gone insane. And I loved how Simone slowly built the relationships between the main characters uh, from a standpoint of, I can't trust any of you at first, but we're all in the same boat and we're all trying to live. Right. Um, it's sort of like Walking Dead, the TV show. Uh, they do this thing wherever they come across a survivor. Rick asks... How many people have you killed? Right. Or how many, how many walkers, walkers have you killed? killed? How many, how many people? people have you killed and why did you kill them? Yeah. And it's sort of like that, you know, they ha they have their own way of of gauging who's safe and who's not and it doesn't always work out. Yeah. Like in the case of this story which I thought was awesome. Uh I also love there's also a um a group of humans that have just like given in yeah they've given in well, they're sort of worshiping and they're one of sacrificing the yeah. they're sacrificing their neighbors to these dark gods essentially and i just loved how they addressed the human element also simone sets up uh, a potential for a great sequel uh, involving the main character and who is uh the group of uh, young characters that are essentially the teen titans and if you don't think about it, you, you'll you you'll miss it completely in the story because it ends on a cliffhanger and you think, obviously, she's going to die. Right. But in the back matter, there are notes in the art, like where Simone's giving notes to Calafiori in the art. And they're like, okay, you can have anyone you want in here, but none of the teen heroes. Right. <laughs> right. So, like, obviously, there's a plan in place. And I hope they do more. Well, I really hope they do we more. We should mention there was a side story that was like a Kickstarter bonus only that they reprinted in here as well. Yeah. About one of those teen heroes. 
and it was fantastic. It was the only oh, time the, the Robin, yeah, we Robin, got to, yeah, we basically got to see one of the heroes actually be heroic, and it was because he was just a kid. He didn't have any powers. He was just heroic kid, and he does the right thing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was really good. You know, we're going on and on, but uh, this is a, a wonderful book, a wonderful book, and it's very dark. It's uh, very violent, but it's never gratuitous. No. And the story is extremely compelling. I, I loved it. Older guys like Joe and I who lived through the 90s and who have saw it all happen again in the new 52. Yeah. I think you're definitely going to pick up on what these guys are laying down here. Totally. This is a huge buy it from me as well. We want to hear what you listeners thought of leaving Megalopolis. So hit us with your reviews and your recommendations for future Take a Look segments over at the THN forums. I think we have decided that next month we have to be reviewing DMC the graphic novel. I don't think we have a choice. Okay. <laughs> You're gonna burn in hell. And that is it for episode 183 of THN, the fourth annual metal show. If you're sick of overly sensitive zombies crying about being beheaded, you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or TuneIn, where we still need your star ratings, your reviews, your thumbs up, or your little hearts because it helps us to connect with other potential listeners. Thank you to all of our donors, and if you want to learn the horrible secret of our success, click our PayPal button at twoheadednerd.com, and all will be revealed. If you want to become a sustaining member, it's as easy as clicking the Make This Donation monthly box, and as little as a dollar a month really does help. If you're interested in sponsoring this dark and gritty podcast, shoot us an email with the subject line, Sponsorship. While you're there, you can find links to all of our contact info via Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, Skype, and our Ziggurat hotline, 402-819-4894. Using this flesh-eating list of resources, you can beg the comic pushers for a new read. You can hit us with your Ask a Nerd question or trivia or defend your questionable nerd tastes in front of the two-headed judge for our Defender segment or ask us to review your self-published comic, be it printed digital carved into your forearm with a razor blade whatever it's dark and don't forget to sign up for the thn forums this is your little virtual piece of the ziggurat where you can discuss this week's show draw your dark and edgy versions of joe and i or just rap about this week's comic remember to follow us on twitter and like our facebook page and watch the forums if you want to get in on the question of the week discussion then be sure to tune in to hear your answers on the answer of the week podcast but if you need more THN in your life right now, get over to TwoHeadedNerd.com and check out Saturday Morning Cartoons by Anthony Mathers, okay. The Credible Hulk. Credible Hulk. Good guy. Ludicrous Speed Reviews by Aaron Myers. An acquired taste. An acquired taste, to be <laughs> we'll sure. say that. And you can't say anything nice. Don't say anything at all. <laughs> though I promised it last week, I decided to save it for Halloween week. Tony's dracula untold review Ooh. also guys girls we're looking for new writers you got an idea for a blog something that you might be able to execute monthly bi-weekly whatever daily hit us up with your ideas we'd love to hear from you unfortunately my wife who writes the best thing on the website can't be bothered to do her free work anything you want to say to that sweetie mm -hmm. next week we'll be premiering a whole new segment we're calling who the hell is this guy? Where we'll be discussing Deathlock through the ages. Before we go, our weekly shout out goes to Watchmen co-creator Dave Gibbons, who was named the first ever Comics Laureate by Comics Literacy Awareness, a UK charity that promotes literacy through comics. 
word to you, Gibby. And until next time, true believers. Win one for the Gibber. <laughs> Remember to pre-order your comics because a retailer just might kiss you on the mouth for it. Unless you're a zombie. Got nothing to say to those assholes. This is a two-headed nerd. Signing off!